Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Today's podcast is brought to you by the band Forever Autumn. Acoustic doom, avant-garde, pagan folk, Forever Autumn returns with Crowned in Skulls, a five-song EP that Distorted Sound Magazine describes as, quote, a roller coaster of emotion, full of fantastic instruments, haunting vocals, and the most ambitious songs, unquote. Now available on Bandcamp, on vinyl, CD, and digital. Check out Crowned in Skulls by Forever Autumn today. Hello and welcome. This is Heavy Business. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Curtis. And today we are here with podcast friend Ian Cheney. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Well, my friends, thank you for having me back. Yes. It's always great to talk to you. And today we are going to talk about music criticism. And if you've been a listener for the, to the podcast for a while, you might have heard the episode where I started to go into this book called How to Listen to Music by Henry Edward Edward Crabiel, published in 1895, all about how to listen to music and how to criticize music and what music critics should be aiming for, etc. And I we went through like half of it. And we're going to go through the other half of it today. And I think no one is better qualified to help me talk about this and think about this modern applications from an 1890s book. So I'm just going to start reading some quotes and we're going to comment on them. So the first one I wanted to dive into was this one. And thinking back to 1895, this man is like we're talking about criticizing operas, live performance a lot. It's not so much recorded music um, or not at all (laughs) recorded music. Um, Here's the quote. It says, all great operas have demonstrated that music is more potent and eloquent when proclaiming an emotional state than while seeking to depict progress toward such a state. All great operas have demonstrated that music is more potent and eloquent when proclaiming an emotional state than while seeking to depict progress toward such a state. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. This is like when you take the SATs and it's like, uh, (laughs) hat is to leg as... (laughs) yeah i was like trying to read i was trying to understand it uh i had to think about it a little bit i think he means like not telling not telling the story of how you got to where or not trying to manipulate someone into feeling the way that you felt but just expressing the way that you felt i kind of took it as being like inducing the state or the emotion that was wanted versus describing it personally, but I can see what you're saying too. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Like feeling it versus talking about being I don't know, sad or whatever, but mm-hmm. getting the emotion there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So Ian, do you find this to be like applicable, I think, to modern music? Well, it's interesting. Let me turn this back around and ask you two, when you're constructing PR copy, you need to pull quotes from either reviews or blurbs or write-ups, so on and so forth. What do you normally gravitate towards? Is it when the reviewer offers some like emotional uh, look into the music or is it the more like technical-based? It's never technical uh, for critique? me. Never technical for me. Never. Yeah, no, neither for Never. me. Never. Always Never. about the emotion. Interesting. Then, yeah, I mean, I think this still holds true for today then. Well, let me ask you this, Ian, just because uh, you brought it up. Are Do you gravitate more to the technical end? Uh, I mean, it really is going to be depending on what kind of audience I'm writing for. Sure. If I'm writing for stereo gum, it's going to be more what the emotional impact of the music is because I don't expect the average reader to have the same kind of like technical knowledge or music theory fluency 
Yeah. But, you know, if I have to write like a journal article on like why this certain section of music is effective, then yeah, I would probably gravitate more towards the technical. Fair. 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 I've always kind of gone like, like I'm not a musician and I'm not fluent in the, in the terminology, obviously, but I've always kind of gone and gone and heard from other people that were that, you know, certain types of music wasn't played very well, but it could still have a good emotional effect on the person, you know, like sad effect, good effect, that type of thing. So don't know how you feel about that, but. It's like, it's all dependent on the context, right? And like yeah. what the the artists is trying to achieve as far as their music is concerned as well. Like for example, if you were going to say that, you know, if you're going to downgrade a bedroom black metal band because it doesn't have like crazy Eddie Van Halen solos, like I think you're kind of doing a disservice to everybody involved. Yeah, something like that. You're going for a specific emotional type state, not technical necessarily most of the time. Yeah, and I think like at the end of the day that the emotions are the things that people remember and that's like the the sensation that lasts. Remember, I was listening to somebody do a uh, talk on what made a good storyteller and the storyteller was like, like the beats of the story don't really matter. It's just imparting what you felt during those beats and that's going to be the thing that people remember. And I always took that... Uh, I always use that in my own writing. My own writing, if you kind of go through and you just kind of like look at it, a high level view, like the thing that I say the most is like, I feel, this makes me feel, I feel this, I feel that. Maybe I'm saying it in like different, you know, ways like cracking a thesaurus and trying to find a different way to say I feel. But at, at a basic level, when I'm writing stuff, it's just kind of like, I feel this, this makes me feel that. Because I think that's going to be the thing that people take away from it. And that's going to be the thing that people generally remember. So yeah, Ali, to your point, like, I definitely still think this is applicable. And I think this is probably like, maybe like one of the more important facets of like music writing. And I think when people get away from this and they try to do stuff that's like more objective, saying like, this is what is good because it hits the blah, 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 of this and this. And these are the chord progressions, so on and so forth. Like, I think that's where you lose a lot of people. And I think it's more important to kind of get to a point where like, almost you're like talking to somebody like, almost like you're at a bar. You're just like, this is what I love about this. It makes me feel this. That's what I dig. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that point is brought up. Um, I'm going to skip around here at the danger of losing, you know, where I'm at. But he mentions like, um, yeah, here, I'm going to just start into this one. Maybe just read a couple sentences. Um, talking about um, one night. Quote, one need not be a composer, but one must be able to feel with a composer before he can discuss his productions as they ought to be discussed. Not all the writers for the press are able to do this. Many depend on effrontery and a copious use of technical phrases to carry them through. The musician, alas, encourages this method whenever he gets a chance. Nine times out of ten, when the opportunity to review a composition falls to him, the musician, he approaches it on its technical side. Yet music is, of all the arts in the world, the last that a mere pedant should discuss. But if not a mere pedant, then neither a mere sentimentalist. If I had to choose the merits, choose between the two merits of the hearers, one whom had an intellectual appreciation of music without feeling emotion, and the other an emotional feeling without an intellectual analysis, I should unhesitatingly decide in the favor of the intelligent non-emotionalist. Uh, and for these reasons, the verdict of the intelligent non-emotionalist should be valuable as far as it goes, but that of the untrained emotionalist is not of the smallest value. His blame and his praise are equally unfounded and empty. So I read the whole quote, but I guess you needed it for the whole context. He's basically saying, you know, yeah, yeah, it's not good to be totally technical, but also not good to be totally sentimental about it either. You've got to find a balance, I guess. Now, this is referring to critics, we have to keep in mind. Yes, but he also mentions musicians being critics, yeah. just like Ian mentioned at the top of the episode. Yeah. Um, and when when musicians tend to get into criticism, they will tend to like nitpick on the technical aspect of things. At least that's what he says back then. Sure. Now, Ian's the writer out of the three of us. Well, 
the main mainly writes, I should say, uh, writer. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it kind of makes sense to me. There's a there's a really good newsletter put out by a writer named Miranda Reinhardt, which I recommend to anybody that has very strong opinions about Dillinger 4. But she writes about how objectivity in music criticism, criticism is like absolutely false because, of course, one, everything is subjective. And if you're going to be write, writing anything that is uh, trying to front like is objective to take a word from our uh, esteemed audio book that we're citing from today that it just makes for extremely boring copy and that you can't relate to whatsoever. So obviously you two have to read a ton of reviews because of the bands that you're working with and this stuff comes in like, what are like three things that make a review effective in your minds? Okay. Now I'm going to be different than Aaliyah, keep in mind, because Aaliyah is also a musician. So, and I'm not. So uh, three things you said that makes it effective. Okay. Number one, clarity. Clarity. They're not, uh, they're not going into a whole bunch of technical terms that we already discussed. Um, and that they put everything in, you know, a clear context. That's number one for me. Uh, number two, um, it's not all about the author. So a lot of times, um, the writer will make it more about them than about the music. And I don't mind if they're talking about it in an emotional sense, but like, for example, um, I've seen write writers basically turn a whole review about them. And it's, it happens a lot more than anyone likes to admit. I, I don't like that. Um, sometimes it's needed for context, but when the whole review is just about their own experience, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, What's number three? So uh, third one would probably be concise, but not too concise. So um, I'm not a big fan. of like the four page long reviews that some people, the deep dives that some people do. Um, other people like it. Um, like what you do, you guys do at Stereogum, I do like because it's like a blurb. Um, you do have the long bit at the at the top, obviously. Uh, but most of the most of the songs that you guys cover, it's like short to the point. Um, usually like what two to three paragraphs tops something like that so i don't like the big long 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 review of an album so that's what i look for those three things yeah for me i think i think i like it when they do try to approach it from as much of an objective perspective as they can um so that's probably my first thing i, I know that obviously you, you, taste plays a big role in it and i think if you can acknowledge that and recognize that that's part of your review and then but also but also try to detach yourself from it as much as possible i find that appealing um 100% I, and then uh second i don't like reviews that are um for lack of a better word mean really um like maybe they're trying to be funny or snarky i don't really like that because as a musician in the metal scene, I feel like we're all freaking outcasts and we've all been uh, subjected to feeling singled out and alone. And I don't like reviews that kind of contribute to that emotion. Um, I know that some musicians need to be taken down a notch or whatever, but do they? I don't know. I don't know if they need to be. And I don't know if it's just like, you can take them down a notch with honest criticism and not be snarky and mean about it. And to my third point, I think that it is important that they have some kind of constructive criticism um, and not be just um, fruitless praise, I guess. So those are probably my three things. I just want to add one thing that is kind of interesting what you just said about the uh, fruitless praise and not mm -hmm. in the extreme, because it usually tends to be one or the other. You're yes. right. I wasn't yeah. even thinking about that, but that is true. Very good point. Yeah. And one more thing. I This is just me, because I love good lyrics. And so I like if people like refer to the lyrics. But I know that's not super common. But if they do appreciate a good lyric and they notice that, and they notice the themes in the music, it really indicates that they spent time in the music and feeling it and interpreting it. 
So I like that. How often do both of you encounter like real deal criticism these days? Ooh, um, pro probably. Do you want me to answer this, Celia? You should probably answer it. Curtis does read a lot more than I do. All, all of, well, I mean. Reviews, I would say, yeah. I don't know. But anyways, uh, you do a lot. But what was the question again, Ian, now that I'm. Uh... How often do you encounter real criticism? Depends on what you mean by real criticism. Like, are we talking, like, tell me. Like what constructive you mean. criticism? Yeah, like I don't think that the the current musical infrastructure on the writing side is really geared towards criticism anymore. It's not. Where mm -hmm. I I hardly ever write criticism these days. Maybe like once or twice a year, and yeah. usually, you know, just anecdotally, those are like the least read things that I do. Because mm -hmm. I don't think the stomach is there on the the public side anymore to read criticism either. Yeah, a so, lot of them are pump pieces. Yeah. yeah, well, it's we've kind of shifted towards this because there's, you know, there's various factors. There's so much music, and a lot of us are writing for general interest, uh, either websites or magazines these days. And, like, I'm tapped at Stereo Gum to find, like, the best metal, right. you know? So that's, like, that's the gig, is for me to find the best metal. So, obviously, I'm just going to be writing pretty effusively about the stuff that I do find. And it's rare for me to write about something that I'm going to have a negative opinion on because why would I? Right. Yeah. Cause like, I want to put my best Here. foot forward. And so like, I think a lot of websites are in that same mold. So I'm just curious, like how often does like real deal criticism, like cross the transom and like find you guys. I'm, I'm I will say that, I will say like Pedro from AMP reacts. He usually will when in his album reviews, He's not writing. He's making videos. But yeah. in his um, album reviews, he usually will. He's always really measured in how he talks about it. And so I think that maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't have said like, oh, I like them to have constructive criticism in them. I don't necessarily need that. And I think it's just like me thinking on my feet here. I'm like, I never thought about this before. But I know Pedro, um, when he's doing his album reviews, he will analyze like the track order and how it flows and all these elements of the music and kind of offer any um opinions that he has to improve on the next album to the band um so he is one example of people of someone that does offer constructive criticism but you're right it's like i don't think i don't i don't think that that was the right way to phrase it i don't think it needs to have constructive criticism in it necessarily i just think it needs to have some sort of measured um approach to it that doesn't sound makes it makes it meaningful that makes it meaningful and not just like oh i like this album because of you know yeah i don't really know how you i don't know how to articulate the difference between like a fluff a puff piece like Curtis is saying versus like someone who's really thought about it and spent time with it and really appreciates it and is writing about how they appreciate it. Pedro's a great example. He's actually probably one of the best out there now that you mention it for actually analyzing things. Like he did a review yeah. of Raider the other day and he started off and he talked about things he didn't like. And I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be a fucking horrible review. Hmm. And um, he was he was talking about how he didn't like the tracks being in certain order and stuff like just exactly like you were saying. Yep. I hadn't watched one of his reviews in a little while. And I was like, oh, my God. And he's friends with the band, too. I know he's friends with the band. I've seen him talk. I've been at shows with him and band members. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to this is going to go over just horribly. But then he started going off about the vocals. He said the vocals are excellent. The rest of the song, blah, 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 blah. He was just very constructive. Yeah, start with so, the negative and then go yeah. into the positive and leave the good emotion at the end. Yeah, yeah. but he was actually, like he said, he was he said what he didn't like. He said, gave constructive criticism. This is what could be improved. This is how they should do it. This is my opinion. Then said what was good about it. Said it was an excellent album overall, blah, 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 blah. But Ian, if you've never seen Pedro from A&P Reacts, I don't know if you have, but if you've never checked his stuff out, excellent excellent choice Julia. oh thanks but like i said he is i mean it's a different kind of, of media it's not writing but he probably writes out his thoughts before he 
reads them on like does I, his I would videos. imagine he he's good at what he does either way that that's an excellent example there in yeah i almost think that pedro's yeah definitely i've definitely checked out pedro's stuff he's uh i will also recommend that for anybody that's unfamiliar and i think almost that you know like the video reaction format is almost like the last frontier of like criticism in this way where you're getting people that are giving you know at least purporting to give their honest opinion to something in the moment and i think that's a lot of what i'm missing from writing these days like i i will admit that i am fond of dipping back into the archives of robert Criscow and uh luxurating in robert Criscow's meanness about stuff uh i was reading the other day that <laughs> on the first motley crew album he referred to mick mars's guitar technique as dork fingered i love it i was like wow that's great what a line what well a and line. i will say like for bands like molly crew and metallica big big bands go ahead you can be mean to them because they're not fighting anymore they're hey mick mars has a had, mick mars has a debilitating disease he's not, not to say. okay that's not what i mean and i'm just being a dick oh my being gosh a being a dick get me canceled um but yeah, I, obviously a lot of the stuff I'm reading is for like more underground bands. So, but yes, it's a good point. You can be clever when you're offering your criticisms. Yeah, I remember we had that uh, that discourse around the Hatchet Job review uh, just a few months ago. And it just seems like in metal, there's, especially in our spot in underground metal, there's there's so very few opportunities to do that because I feel for that type of re- review to be effective you need to be punching up and there's not a lot of times that you can punch up you know like i think metallica as you said is kind of it maybe iron maiden yeah Yeah, but you know your targets are just kind of few and far between for that to really land and make it not sound like a complete jerk well i think nowadays everybody criticizes maiden metallica anyway so i don't know i'm getting kind of bored with that but Anyways, I've taken a soft course. I'm sorry, Elliot. It's all good. It's all good. Um, and yeah, I think that my my aversion to those negative reviews is just you know from like I'm not. I don't think I'm a particularly empathetic person, but you know, average. And I'm a musician, so um, in this book. By going back to the book, he mentions that um, where sympathy is lacking, correct judgment is also lacking. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, if you're not going to be thinking about that element, that emotional element of the music, and you're just critique, you're just being mean and clever, you're just roasting the band, it's not, not necessarily going to be, it's not going to be a well thought out, um, correct judgment i guess what do you think about that ian i agree the funny counter to this is that my podcast partner dave fonseca always has this line that as soon as you decide that being a firebrand is actually synonymous with being a jerk you should stop writing reviews (laughs) because like (laughs) yeah yeah but again, I mean, I think we're in a spot too where it, normally you, if you're working at like a like an alt weekly or something, cutting your teeth and trying to catch on as a music critic, like you'd be out of this field by the time you were like my age. And so the fact that I've been allowed to hang around so long is also like a weird uh, quirk of the modern system as well. But I mean, to his point, he thinks that as soon as you get out of that headspace where you are thinking more empathetically like, man, like the band took three years to make this. I'm taking 10 minutes to trash this. Like, who am I? What am I doing? Like, you should stop writing. I I always thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. On the counterpoint, I'm going to go to this other little quote that I have. Now I feel bad for trashing Metallica's St. Anger. Thanks, Ian. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, To another point, though, quote, the musician who goes to destruction because he is faulted deserves destruction. 
you must stop the contention oh that only a musician is entitled to criticize a musician the power of judgment may exist separately from the power of execution two separate thoughts actually actually but yeah it's like he says that the musician who would allow a criticism to stop them from making music doesn't it does they deserve to be stopped from making music because yes it's it's a it's a harsh thing to say but hmm. well there's two ways of looking at, there's two ways of looking at this in my opinion unless i'm totally misunderstanding what you're saying it's like on the one hand if the musician is well liked by the by like a lot of people like let's say they have i don't know fifty thousand listeners a month on spotify or something like that hundred thousand million whatever it is and one person is trashing them and that knocks them down so much that they don't want to do it anymore stupid just like you said you know what i mean but at the same time they i don't know i can look at it both ways i guess but i i i do agree with that to some extent I mean, it could be a way of looking at your motivations, right? Like if thing, theoretically, if your motivations were coming from your heart and like you really want to create music, you're not going to stop just because somebody says you did a bad job. Well, in theory, but, in theory. <laughs> but, you know, people have been stopped from doing things that they love and let their passions be quelled before. So, okay. And you, you look very thoughtful. If it's the same thing with writing. I was just about to say to him, like, how many times have people called you a shitty writer or that your opinions stink? Probably a zillion times, right? Way more than they said I'm a good writer. That's for sure. That's what I figured. And you still keep trucking. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something I talk about with my therapist all the time. But yeah, like uh, I think uh, it's interesting. It's interesting that it says like uh, like the musician can't be like the the end all be all critic, and like people that aren't musicians also can't criticize music. Like I think it's kind of like a hand in hand thing. I think in some situations, like it, some things really call for that like musician expertise that only a musician can really offer. I know there's like certain times that I haven't been impressed with music until like I try to like replicate what I'm hearing. Like I pick up a bass. I'm just like, Oh, like I'm moving all the way around the fretboard in this. Like, this is crazy. Okay. Like I, it clicks and I understand and I respect what you're doing, but yeah, I definitely think that there needs to be that, that, that balance as uh, they are alluding to. Well, yeah, that actually, go ahead. Okay, well, I was going to say, here's something that bugs me, is like, when a newbie will criticize, like, a pro, I, I don't like that. I mean, I can, again, I can kind of understand, and this kind of goes with what you what you read, that's, that's why I brought it up. Like, if you were, like, if you and Laura, for example, were to criticize uh, Floor from Nightwish, I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I, that would be I, so tacky. That's what I mean, I... I yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yes, yes, but he was saying um, the musician must stop the contention that only a musician is entitled to criticize a musician. 100%. The power of judgment may exist separately from the power of execution. So, um, but he also said that quote, no amount of mere hearing and study can compare and influence with the part participation in musical performance. Music is an art which rests on love. It is beautiful sound, vitalized by feeling, and it can only be grasped fully through man's emotional nature. So to your point, Ian, you were saying that it is beneficial as a music critic to have some participation in experience with playing, immersing yourself in music fully. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, to the, the second quote that she pulled. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there's a there's an Adam Neely video they just put up about uh, uh, trying to find trying to figure out what the meter is to uh, uh, a children's cartoon theme. I don't I forget which one it is. Bluey. Are you all familiar with Bluey? Yeah, I'm familiar. 
Okay. My drummer so has a two-year-old. Yeah. So they were trying to figure out what the meter is for that. And he's, his basic takeaway was, you know, like we could do like all this like academic stuff and show you what the exact meter is, but like, it doesn't really tell you how this makes you feel. And at the end of the day, like, that's like the most important aspect of this. Like it's a good song. It's engaging. It gets people, you know, stoked to watch Bluey. Who are we to write these like hundred page dissertations on how, like what meter this actually fits into. So yeah, definitely. But like, I mean, like music, Music is a weird thing in general because, like, obviously, so much of this is cultural, societal, and fits into so many different, like, contextual factors that it's amazing that any of us like the same thing at all. You know, like, at the end of the day, like, our experiences are so different that the fact that we can, like, have a meeting of minds and say, like, you know what, Floor's performance and revamp totally rules is that never feels to blow my mind yeah um there there is this discussion in the book on the role of the critic and i'm here curious to hear your take on it so i'm gonna dive into this we're kind of running low on time but this is like second to last so quote the critic should be the mediator between the musician and the public for all new works, he should do with the symphonists of the lists of school, the list school attempted to do by programs. I'm not sure what all that is, uh, but anyway, here we go. He should excite curiosity, arouse interest, and pave the way to popular comprehension. But for the old, he should not fail to encourage reverence and admiration. To do both of these things, he must know his duty to the past, present, and the future, and must adjust each duty to the other. Such adjustment is only possible if he knows the music of the past and the present and is quick to perceive the bent and outcome of novel strivings. He should be Catholic in taste, outspoken in judgment, unalterable in allegiance to his ideals, unswervable in integrity. What do you think? Interesting. This was written in 1880, correct? 1895. 1895. Published, yeah. published in 1895. So this is before recorded music. So this is back in a time where like you would hear your favorite piece ever. And if you were lucky in your lifetime, you might hear it again. Right. Which is a nutty thing to think about now that we're we have all of recorded music history at our fingertips at all time in a little black box that lives in our pocket. So I think that the critic's role was almost more important back then because A, like people weren't able to encounter music that they liked that often. And B, the critic was going to point people towards music that maybe they could encounter and demystify it in such a way that when they were able to encounter it, they could have that one-to-one more emotional experience and really jive with it. My question for you too today is like, what do you think the role of the critic in 2023 is? It's interesting that you bring up that like someone might hear a piece of music one time and then never be able to hear it again. And, you know, I think that it's kind of an interesting to compare that to today where there's so much noise and there's so much music that listeners will end up listening to just the same songs over and over again. And I think that the theory of the role is the same, to have a duty to the past, the present, and the future, and like to look at music today in like comparison to the music of the past, and have that context. But then like to help the public pick out which of the new um which of the new talents out there is worth their time because time is at such a premium now. Back then people didn't have the money to go see shows. Now people don't have time to listen to 
everything that's out there. And this is just off the cuff, so I'm not sure. It's not like super well thought out, but I, I think that it might be something to the, to do with that. It's like to help decipher what, but then the, of course you have to build up your reputation to have your opinion be valued by the public. So how do you find that balance to where you, you, you build your respect and then you're also helping people find the new artists that they can like that they, and they, can determine from your writing how it will make them feel. I don't know, Curtis, you should probably talk. I'm babbling. I, I have I have a couple opinions. You guys probably aren't going to like them, but I'm going to tell them anyways. I think there's one uh, for describing and talking about bigger bands, what they like about them. Because, I mean, most people don't do criticism of bigger bands. They just don't fucking do it. It's all for clicks nowadays. Everybody knows... Just wants to talk about Metallica. Is it better than the Black Album? Is it better than pre-Black Album? You know, Five Finger Death Punch. You know, is it better than their earlier material? Why they hate them? Everybody likes to shit on them. Blah 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 blah. So, I mean, in one one hand, I don't really know if there are a lot of critics, to be honest, Ian. But um, in general, I think the main role, like I think you do a real. I'm not just tooting your horn, but I think you do a really good job because you go sift and you find stuff that isn't known in the main in the main you do have some bigger stuff occasionally that you talk about but your main hat in life it seems to be is to go sifting through Bandcamp, find like a zillion links every month and go like this is the best shit that you probably don't know about that's why i read your Substack, is because you got stuff i don't know 90 percent of the stuff you pull out and i listen to a lot of music i haven't heard of like 90 percent of the fucking stuff you that you talk about ever and uh you're concise about it. You have all the links there. A bunch of bands I don't know. So I will frequently go, I'll go check out. I usually don't check them all out, obviously, but you know, I'll usually check out like five or six or whatever. And uh, you know, I like that when people do that. Like Invisible Oranges used to do that a lot too. Um, what's the name of that other site? Uh there's a few sites that have done that type of stuff, but nowadays most sites, it seems to me, and critics, they're just kind of just talking about the big bands that everybody already knows about, does it compare to their last album, that type of thing. So two ways of looking at it. I don't know how, I don't know if that was quite the answer you're looking for, but I think one's for entertainment purposes and the other is to actually help people find new bands. But I don't think there are too many of those people that actually do that nowadays. There's you, Corinne, uh, Greg Kennelly will do that a lot too. Um, I can't really think of anyone else besides you three, but I know that there's more. So, oh, Islander from No Clean Singing does it too. So other than that, I can't think of a hell of a lot of people that really do have that role of finding new and good music for people to check out. And I, to go back to this quote, the, the list here was to excite curiosity, arouse interest, and pave the way to com popular comprehension. I think that all of those th things are still applicable today. You you excite curiosity, arouse interest, and and then help people understand it, pave the way to popular comprehension, meaning people who aren't music critics, can they understand what you're saying? Can they understand what the music is based off of what you're saying? So I think that there's definitely still value in that. It's just the... the Nobody the, fucking like, does it, though. Yeah, and I think that that's... It's kind of a... It's kind of a um, vicious cycle, right? Because like, oh, well, we don't want to write these kinds of pieces because people won't click on these pieces and then we're not going to make our money. And then there's nothing out there for people to consume. And then it just ends up feeding itself. And yeah. I don't know, there's probably nothing that can be like overall done culturally, but I do think of all of the scenes, the metal scene is where like there are people interested in that deeper comprehension of music and well, I shouldn't say I, I'm, I'm not familiar with other scenes, really. So maybe other scenes are like this, too. There are people, there are cells of people that are interested in that deeper comprehension of the music. But yeah, it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought process and uh, topic to dive into. But I don't really I don't really know. Um, did that I answer your question, Ian? 
Yeah, I think I think you're both right as far as what the critics' role is today. It's just how many people are willing to you know, step up to the plate and do it. Or you know, to Leah's point, I I do think that it's worthwhile to kind of demystify music and make it more accessible to the people that are lacking in the experiences that they otherwise would have that would uh, get them interested in that sort of stuff. I know that's one of the, the main reasons that, you know, I write about like brutal death metal and like gore grind and gooey music like that is because I think this stuff is musically interesting and worthwhile. And while I have a very, you know, self-deprecating take as, as far as like, I can't believe I'm listening to all this stuff. Please don't get mad at me that I'm slinging goo your way every month. I do still think it's worthwhile and I try to demystify it for the average listener to be like, Hey, you should partake in this chaos because it's thrilling and interesting. And it's like, it's a, the vanguard of music right now. So there's definitely that. And I, I also think Curtis is correct that, you know, this is music writing is another facet of entertainment at the end of the day. You have to write stuff that's going to be, you know, funny, insightful, and has a interesting point of view at least the good stuff because you want to have people read it and i think if you write stuff that's just boring or fluff it also does a disservice to the music because like obviously some of that boringness is going to rub off in the music itself and people are going to say like well you know if they didn't have that joy de vivre that they normally have when they're writing about this stuff when they're talking about this like i guess it can't really be good i know that like my big claim to fame is i wrote a crazy cynic review in like 2008 that everyone still cites to me and the fact that people took some type of meaning from that and were able to derive what my feelings were from it and that connected with a lot of people that's cool but at the end of the day i'm glad that cynic is the band that's associated with that because you know they should be and yeah so i guess that's my take (laughs) yeah well, I'm going to wrap us up with the final, the fable, the the fable that's cited in the book. And this is, this is just a commentary on criticism of the arts in general, because this is an ancient fable. So not just music, all the arts, theater, whatever. Once upon a time, it is an ancient fable. A critic picked out all the faults of a great poet and presented them to Apollo. The god received the gift graciously and set a bag of wheat before the critic with the command that he separate the chaff from the kernels. The critic did the work with alacrity and turning to Apollo for his reward, received the chaff. Nothing could show us more appositely than this, what criticism should not be. I love little, I love old like Greek mythology and stuff like that, so... I just, I thought that was really nice. It's like, if, if all you're going to do is pick out a bunch of nitpicky criticisms, that's all you're going to be left with in the end. Ooh, I want to make one more comment, Aaliyah, if we got time. Yeah, go ahead. Well, question for both of you guys, actually. Hopefully, uh, neither one of you guys uh, takes too long on this. Um, well, I'm actually going to start with Ian here, because... That's a very good point. So positivity. So how much is too much, Ian? I don't think you ever want to be hyperbolic. I like it as a as a PR. Yeah, I mean, it's, I hate to say it. Some people definitely write for the, the pull quote. I, I like that when they do, personally. Yeah. I, as a reader, I don't like it. As a PR, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So I know we're in kind of like in this like hyperbole arms race right now. We're like the degradation of language has gotten to the point where it's like, everything is awesome. No, this is amazing. No, it's incredible. No, it's the best thing ever. No, it's going to blow your brains apart. And it's just, what does anything even mean anymore? Especially as, uh, 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 there's a, somebody very smartly once said to me that, you know, like all these arguments that we're having online, everybody 20 years from now is going to think of these as like, solid b minuses so like what are we even doing with our time <laughs> it just kind of tracks like you think about like the classics that we passed down from like generation to generation like how many are there it's like a handful but what do we do spending our days arguing about like hundreds and hundreds of releases so yeah definitely but uh and, Leah, and what's, what's your take? 
everything's well hold on everything's an eight or nine too yeah absolutely yeah the uh the classic seven out of ten everything's a yeah. seven out of ten yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah my take on what's too much positivity yeah i mean i don't think that this fable is saying you should only be positive it's just saying well, don't be nitpicky well it's not but that brought brought it to my attention though so because like i was just saying like we were just both saying almost everything is positive there is no uh, criticism yeah yeah yeah, you gotta have the balance, I think, because again, everything's an eight or a nine. Like, how many how many below sevens did you guys get for unfinished? Oh, don't ask me that, man. You, I don't. Think you're you just got saying it. you're just saying that nobody gets them, and then like I'm like, man. Well, no, but you didn't get, but you didn't get many, unless it was like people that just obviously wanted to trash your genre. You know what I'm saying, right? I know what you're saying. Yeah. I I don't really have a, the exact number in my mind, I'm, but I'm, I do I'm, know that like as a musician, it always hurts to read reviews that aren't 10 out of 10 well that's what i mean so how much positivity but, is too much positivity but because at you're the same, the musician. yeah at the same time when you get those positive reviews it's always like well okay well that doesn't mean they're very much but at least they weren't mean to us exactly. you know um <laughs> exactly so yeah i do think i i'm i would agree i don't like hyperbolic things i don't like things that are overly positive i like things that are moderate moderately like rational i guess like rationally positive, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, like, what would be an ideal review for you as a musician? Like, if someone wanted to, like, just for you as a musician talking about your band, what would you expect to be where you're considered, where you want to be told, like, what's not right, but be pointed out the good things? Like, what would be? I don't your know if I can answer that, Curtis. That's like a tough. That's like a very detailed fine. question. Also, okay, boring answer, probably. Fine, fine. I'll shut up. I will say that the reason that one of the questions I always ask in interviews is what is something about the album that no one's noticed yet that you're extremely proud of always gets the longest answer for this reason. That's actually a very good question to ask someone. Yeah, that, that is, that is. Because, you know, art is subject to interpretation and obviously... <sighs> musicians also are poets in a way and we're trying to um oftentimes enclose our truths in a piece of art and if people can get through and find it out then that's cool but a lot of times people don't do that so and it takes guts to do that to have your shit put out in front of everybody in front of the world it's like someone tearing you apart or, or lifting it up too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one last question for both of you when you are going into a piece of music, do you want to listen to it without any knowledge of its context and what went into making it? Or do you want to know everything about it first? Do you want to go first, Curtis? I'm trying to think on this one because I can go either way here, to be honest. Um, Go ahead, Leah. Uh, I concretely prefer to listen to music before reading any analysis of it. But sometimes due to time restraints and attention constraints, like I don't want to be listening to music for the first time when I'm at work or when I'm busy with stuff that's pulling my attention. So sometimes I do end up listening to critiques of the music and analysis of the music before I listen to it. So I went into this thinking, oh, for sure, I definitely like prefer listening to music without listening to the criticisms or reading criticisms about it. But it does happen often where I will read some reviews before listening to the album or listen to a YouTube review of the album before listening to the album. Because those things, I'm sorry to say to the journalists and YouTubers, do not require as much of a focused attention as actually appreciating a piece of art, Agreed. the music. Agreed. Um, one thing I want to say, though, is I can go either way because um, I grew up with magazines. So you'd have to get, well, you wouldn't have to, but in order to find out what you wanted to purchase, because you had to buy it all and not just stream it, you had to read through and you would generally get a fairly detailed analysis beforehand. So... Growing up, I was used to getting an idea beforehand of what I was getting into, unless I was just doing a blind buy, which is 
totally different story, right? Um, that being said, um, sometimes it is good to not get someone's opinion prior to listening to something. Uh, for example, uh, if I would have probably if I would have read all the criticism about Electric Cowboy before listening to them, I probably would have gone in there with a very different viewpoint, you know. But when I heard it, I was like, "This is fucking funny. Um, it's amusing, it's catchy." But if I would have read someone else's opinion of it first about how stupid it is and, you know, all the rest of it, I might have got in there with a bit of a colored perception, right? So it's hard to say. I can go either way on this one, Ian. Curtis, you bring up a good point. Like one of the things I think is driving the current new metal renaissance where you have people who are much younger getting into new metal now is that they don't have to listen to the bad stuff yeah like i remember the way that we would find music would be like check the liner notes for the thank you section yes or you just get like the best buy circular and be like oh that looks cool i guess i'll try that out which of course exposed you to far more bad than good yep and because people don't have to do that now they can more easily curate their listening it's had such an interesting effect on malign genres that people can go immediately to the good stuff. And it's, it's done wonders for both the public and critical uh, reception for those things. So yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting take there for sure. Well, we have talked about music criticism quite a lot today. I, is there anything else that you wanted to say about it before I wrap things up, Ian? Because we went over quite a lot, a lot, so. Yeah, I just think we're in a really interesting spot as far as both music consumption and how people write about it right now, where music is positioned as this foundational thing that's important to people and their lives, and yet it's not treated that way in the marketplace. And I think we're going to come to a point where there's going to be a reckoning and we're going to try to realign those two things where the importance of music will also try to match how much you can, like how much of a living you can make off of it. So hopefully we get to that point. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a cynic and we won't, but yeah, I think we're in a very interesting spot. So well said well said well thank you again for coming on we'll see you next time probably in another month or so and everyone listening until next time make like a bull and throw those horns up if you enjoyed this podcast please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us recommending it to your friends or leaving us a review on your platform of choice Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music.